<clears throat> Go ahead. Well, <laughs> it's just a true confessions moment. Okay. And probably I shouldn't mention. <laughs> Did you ever watch the TV show Made back in the day? Made. M-A-I-D? Yeah, it was like on MTV. No. And uh, it was like you could say what you wanted to be made into. And then they would like take you and they would make you into that. <laughs> and it was always my dream to be like a radio host. And so I feel like this is the closest that I'm ever going to get to that. My second dream was to check, like to be a checkout person at a grocery store. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> have you done that yet? I haven't. But now that they have self checkouts at like Target, I feel like I've lived that dream too. So this is like, oh. I don't know where to go after this. <laughs> we could go mobile and you could interview a checkout person. Ooh. Restore Gospel Podcast is happy to present another episode of Stories of the Saints. You know, when you hear the word saint, at least when I hear the word saint, I think of statues and ornaments and stories of times past, things that have happened long ago. But there are saints among us today, people that are putting Jesus first in their life and seeking after him and his kingdom And those stories need to be heard. Today, we are going to hear the story of another saint, and her name is Kara Smith, and I am happy to welcome her here today. Kara, welcome. Thank you. I always like to introduce how I, or start with how I know the person that I'm interviewing and talking with. And uh, Kara, I first met you in the little town of Lamoni, Iowa, (laughs) back in, I'm going to say 1994, it could have been 1995, when I was doing some missionary work with my friend Adam. I remember, I think I was at your grandma's house, um, and you were there with your sister and your mom and dad. I wanted to, um, yes, you were in... How old have been 14. Okay. 13 or 14. So what's that? Like freshman, eighth grade? I just remember you were tall even at that time. <laughs> I, I've been six foot since I was in eighth grade. I was so. going to say, everybody, you were tall and your whole family was tall. So, but uh, no, we were, uh, we were up there for the weekend spending time with your grandma and grandpa. And I wanted to talk about that uh, at the beginning here. I wanted to talk about your heritage just for a little bit, just so people know. So tell me about your grandma and grandpa. Well, it's Mildred and Delbert Smith um, on that side. I also have a loving side. I have, I mean, I have deep um, church connections on both sides of my family that have both played a really important part in my life. But um, grandma and grandpa Smith in particular, um, I don't know what you want to say about them. Well, I... I'm curious. Um, well, your grandpa Delbert was a 70 in the Correct. church. And I, I really wanted to talk about, so when Adam and I moved out here um, or came out here, we were going through some classes on um, missionary training. And your grandma and grandpa were the main, what's the word, trainers? The main, um, they were the main people that were spent most of the time with us teaching us how to share the gospel. And what I really thought was cool, and and this is going to tie into what I wanted to talk about first, Um, your grandma was an author for the church, for the RDS church, Reorganized Church. Um, Harold House, I think, printed her books way back when. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book 
on the word of wisdom. Yes. Um, another book, probably people have heard, The Master's Touch. Yes. And then in recent years, more recent years, uh, The Master's Touch, Volume 2. <laughs> is that right? It is. Or Touched that Again. That one has funny stories in it. No, it's Master's <laughs> Touch, too. That one has some, if you read the whole book, it. Oh, I've, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> but your, uh, your grandma. I think my dad actually published the second one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but two whole books of testimonies of how the Lord had, had shared or worked within their lives as Delbert was. So for those that don't know, a 70 is a type of missionary in our church, but they do it full time. Um, that was his job, right? Mm -hmm. A 70, they get assigned to different places in the world. They travel, they move around quite a bit. The reason, um, what was really cool, what I wanted to bring out was that you said something and we're going to get to this, but your grandma was an author, and she was one of probably if I said what's a mentor in your life, I would say Mildred Smith was because she really enforced learning by faith and by education, and I really thought that was cool how she brought those two things together. Mm -hmm. You said something, okay, so I wanted to ask you about Sunday night chats that you kind of started or headed up last year. Just Tell me about that, because I've got a couple of quotes, but I want to see what oh. you say first. <laughs> no. No, no. I didn't know you were quoting well, me. Um, <clears throat> taking notes. <laughs> Just tell you what they are. Is that well, I, re I remember them. I didn't even write them down. There was, there was a couple of things that really stuck with me. So tell, tell our listeners about Sunday night chats, what, what those were. Um, well, we just wanted a place for um, people in our church, and particularly it was, it was catered more towards younger adults, but we wanted everyone, sorry, my chair. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get, I've got to fix this. <laughs> okay. Um, but we wanted everyone to come, but basically a place where people could talk about maybe the issues in church that we don't take time to talk about on Sunday mornings that are maybe a little bit more challenging and difficult to discuss, but I think that need to be shared for people to have a real connection to the gospel and how the gospel makes sense in the kind of crazy world that we live in today. So a place where people can come and share differing opinions and honest opinions and questions that they have without fear of um, offending someone or, um, I don't mm. know, just a safe place for people to come and chat about the hard things that go on and how the gospel really connects to those and makes sense in real life. Okay. Stuff that we don't typically see like on a Sunday morning. For yeah. Me. Okay. So, you had several of classes, uh, I don't know how many we had, seven or eight? Something like that, yeah. Total. One of the classes that, uh, one of the classes that really, there were several great ones that, that left an impression on me. One of them that really was one of my favorites was uh, you had a, um, a husband-wife team teach on roles in the church, and really it was on the women's role in the church, and I really was touched by that because of the scriptures that were used. Um, but one of the main things, and this ties into your grandma, was I was impressed with your grandma's role, um, how she could have such a great role and impact on people without being uh, a preacher. And we oftentimes look at church as like church is the sermon and the scripture reading and the priesthood man delivering that. And you said something uh, at one of these chats, and you said that, um, and I'm going to probably butcher, but I wrote it down <laughs> what you said. You said something that if the Lord places something on your heart or the desire to have something or a need that you, you know, you'd like to see fulfilled, 
He may be calling you to be the one to do it. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. And so I take it that in your mind you thought, it'd be great to have a Sunday chat. And that's how that comment came to be. And so you thought, well, I'm going to be called to do that. Or maybe the Lord's calling me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that. I think a lot of times we sit back and and say like, oh, somebody should really do that. And I think God's like, yeah, someone should. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that someone is you. So... Um, we really focus on preaching as being the foremost ministry in a church, and I believe that's why there was a lot of um, problems with the church. And this was brought out in that, that chat where we talked about the roles of women especially because people look at that role as being the best role maybe or the main role or the main focus. Then women um, feel like, well, why can't I preach or why can't I be doing that? And um, I think the the main thing I got out of that class was, well, what do you really think life's about? Is life about going and listening to a sermon or is life about loving on the people around you and seeing God in all of these different places? And if that's the case, then there are so many roles that need to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And without embarrassing you, I just want to say you're one of those people that I think have capitalized on that or have found so many different ways to serve. And that's why I wanted to have you come here and talk with us uh, today. Um, your grandma was one of those that I thought was just provided such great ministry without being a preacher. But I remember sitting down with her and her just sharing testimony after testimony of the Lord's love, and it really impacted me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to talk about just women's role in the church and and how do you see service? Um, I've got all kinds of stuff here Mm -hmm. to bring up, but I want to let you kind of open-ended. Tell me, Tell me how you see um, service to the Lord in your life. Well, I do think that, and it's interesting you start with grandma because um, growing up watching grandma as a very strong woman in the church and much of what I learned, I learned for her. And it's interesting too, because um, my grandfather, my grandpa had dementia. And from the time where I really started probably valuing who my grandparents were and recognizing the blessing that I had in them and wanting to learn from them was when grandpa started to, we started to recognize the Mm. signs of dementia. And so I really felt like a lot of people will come up to me and talk to me about the great ministry of my grandpa. And I don't remember a lot of that because I was younger as that started to happen. So really for me, the ministry came from my grandma. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she would obviously tell stories of grandpa and testimonies that they had together and reading their books. But to sit under my grandpa's ministry, I have very few. I do have memories of that, but they're very few. Um, And so, and and just to watch her and, and, you know, and I grew up in a small congregation and she taught a lot of the classes for the whole church and she, you know, it was kind of like grandma had a, a big say <laughs> in mm-hmm. what in what happened there. And people really looked to her for wisdom. So it was never like a, a, a guy, girl, a male, female thing for me as far as like roles within the church, because I always was so ministered to by her. And I also the other great benefit that came from growing up in a small church is that church took place on way more than just Sunday. Like, and, and I also grew up going to church with a lot of my family members. Mm-hmm. And so church was, was not just Sunday morning. It was the time we spent in each other's lives. It was being called out in the middle of the night and going to help people. It was 
Um, you know, so much more than just sitting down on Sunday. And recently I've said, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. I wish we could get rid of Sunday morning in the church just for like (laughs) six months or a year, just not have it and see what happens. Do we know how to be the church when it doesn't include hymns and, and (laughs) sermons? Right. Um, and cause, cause, and I think when you're talking particularly about women's role in the church, we then have to understand the priesthood role in the church. And I don't think we understand that personally as a church. I don't think we understand the true role. And so then it becomes confusing about, well, what's women's role then if, you know, if, if the role of priesthood is to do everything for the church, are women just supposed to sit and listen? So I, that, that, I mean, there's a, I mean, you're asking a lot of questions here as one. And sure. I think that's why I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, my head is spinning because there's so much to say about it. Um, but you also mentioned service. And to me, I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel is not to to be partakers and listeners of it, but to be livers of it, to, to actually do it. Bob Goff talks about not Bible studying, but Bible doing. Um, and not that the study is not important, but it's the living out piece of it that's important. And that's what I think was the most important lesson that my grandparents passed down to me was um, how to actually live the gospel in real life. And that's why it made such sense to me um, because they, I saw it lived out. Like they, they followed the commandments of God and that brought great blessing into their life. And um, not that it didn't bring trial because it obviously did, but um, it also brought, brought great blessing and, and being able to see it lived out is what made sense to me and why I wanted it to be part of my life. So which connects to service yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways, because um, I mean, that's what the gospel is all about is teaching us how to live together and to love each other in meaningful and tangible ways. And um, I don't know. I mean, there's so much to talk about service. I might need another question to like, if we look at people as the main object of ministry, rather than going to a place, then all kinds of opportunities mm-hmm. open up. Um, one of the things I know that you've been involved in is a. we have a lot of camps here in the summer, and you started a camp. Maybe you started it, Walk the Talk, or you're definitely involved with it. Tell me about Walk the Talk camp. Um, so I sit on the RCI board, which is the camping board for some of the camps that we have, and we were just having a discussion about um, just what was happening to our kids after they left the camping system and um, why some were choosing to stay within the gospel and why some were choosing not to. And one of the things we came up with is because we didn't see a lot of opportunities for them to live it out. And, and just from like a teaching perspective, you know, it's, you're not really going to learn something until you do it and put it into action. And so we decided we needed something that was a little bit less sitting and listening and learning and more actually going out and doing. And so Camp Walk the Talk was born from that. And it's a shorter camp, but it's a totally service-oriented camp um, where kids come and we work with organizations around the Kansas City area that are serving um, people in lots of different ways. Some of them are faith-based, some of them aren't. And the whole idea is just to go be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And what does that look like? And how do we minister oftentimes without even using words? Um, And it's been amazing to watch what's happened as a result of that camp. Um, And we do have, we have our pastor does like one class a day just to kind of remind us about what we're learning, but then they get the chance to go out and actually live that. So it's like, here's our scripture for today. 
um, I was hungry and you fed me. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Let's go do that. <laughs> so then we go and we serve um, people who are living in homelessness who um, don't have food. Um, and the amazing thing is, is that I watch as the kids like get it, like it clicks in their head about what it, why it is that we believe this and why we're doing what we're doing. Cause it's not just something to sit and learn and to be the smartest one at the table. It's about like, how does this actually play out in real life? And they go and the best thing is that they make connections with people that they never would have thought that they would connect with. And, um, one year we had them each every day, they had to come back and, and like journal about who they saw. Christ in that day and how they saw it manifested. And, you know, they're working with people that they would be scared to death <laughs> to talk to just because right. that's the way that we grow up is to be afraid of what we don't know. And, um, and then that they came back and were like, this is where I found Christ in these people today. But what's amazing to me then is it's kind of, <clears throat> I love this camp. It, it tends to be kids who don't maybe go to other camps I call it a little bit of a misfit camp in the most love if campers mm -hmm. are listening, but it's just a very diverse group of diverse and you know, whatever that word means, but a very, they're very different from each other. And so when camp first starts, I'm always really worried because I'm like, how is this group going to mesh and click? But as soon as they start laboring together, it's like they connect in ways that are, I don't see them happen at other camps. And the very first year that we did it, um, the very last day, um, one of the girls said, she's like, I've never really understood why people call each other brother and sister in the church because I have a brother and I don't really like him. <laughs> so she said, that doesn't really make sense to me. But after laboring with you all for five days and the work and the struggle that we've gone through together, I love you like a brother or sister. And I get it now. Like I get that we're in this work together. And when they stop focusing on, you know, when you sit down and you talk about theology, which is so important and, and studying scripture is so important and I'm not negating that, but then when you sit down and do that, what often happens is we start to see the differences in us and then that creates division. But when you're laboring, it's really hard to disagree over whether or not someone should have food. And so when you're working on that together, you start to like build these bonds. And, and that's why it's such a, the gospel so action oriented. Like it's all about doing. And when you're doing, like you just working together, the, the way that they grow and connect with each other and the way that they live and, and at the end of the week they'll say I've never experienced the kingdom in this way like I've never experienced what it's like to be part of Zion and this is it when we all have a common goal and we're working together and those differences that normally divide us aren't there because we are truly one body doing one work with one purpose and it's really amazing to watch and it has given me a lot of hope and joy back to, mm. to be part of that camp and to watch what happens wow that so there's there's a joy in um, the people that you're serving, um, but also a joy in the people you're serving alongside. So you yeah. become, um, not only do you see differences disappear in the, in the group that you may be serving, but um, you don't have time to find differences in the people you're laboring with. Mm -hmm. or you Or maybe you find that... Doesn't matter as much. Well, yeah. <laughs> what we think is different about us... Um, yeah. Really, when rubber meets the road, doesn't really matter. Maybe it only matters at the table when we're deciding what's different about us. Right. Well, and that's what's interesting. If you were, and, and they, they don't have time to figure it out. If you were to sit those kids down around a table, because I've been at camps where there's kids from different groups and right. conversation comes up that we're not supposed to be in this together, which is very sad to me. But they don't have time to do that. And then they've built relationship and they've recognized that we can actually labor mm -hmm. together on what we agree on and figure the other stuff out along the way. Um, 
I don't know. It's just, it's really powerful to watch them do that and to like, just hear them know that we're all in this together and that we're building these relationships and doing this work. And yeah, if anybody wants to be part of camp, let me know. <laughs> so this, this takes place every summer, usually every summer. towards the end of summer. It is. This next year, it's going to be earlier. It's going to be um, like the first full week of July or something like that. Okay. How many campers are you set up to take? We have a cap at 21 just because some of the sites we work with can't take right. bigger groups. Um, but are you pretty close to full? Um, we haven't been since our first year. So we usually have enough room for everybody. Okay. And then it's located right here in independence. Yeah. We actually sleep slumber party style at living hope. <laughs> what a cool, <laughs> what a cool place. I mean, they got a great facility now, yeah. kitchen and everything. And yeah. okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. You know, eh, we'll save that for later, but, um, how many projects do you do a day or how many groups are you involved with? Um, we usually do one to two projects a day, just depending. I mean, the kids work hard. It is exhausting. Um, the staff last, like the staff is typically like so tired. I remember there was one night this last year actually where the kids were just exhausted and we, the project was timely and we really had to get it done. And so I just pulled them aside and I was like, you guys, this is when we take God at his word that he's going to provide for us what we need when we're serving him. And, um, we just said a prayer that was like, God, we are exhausted and we cannot do this on our own. And we need you to give us the strength to do it. And they prayed and I said, okay, now we let God do the work. And so they went down and they finished it and they had the energy to do it. And it was a, it was an awesome testimony to them mm -hmm. of like, you know, when we're pouring into other people's lives, we think humanly possible. It's not possible for me to have enough love or have enough energy or have enough, whatever that I need for this. But then you recognize that's okay because it's, you're not supposed to, it's supposed to come from God and rely on that. So that was that was awesome. <clears throat> this year we focused on not just working with organizations, but working with people. <laughs> so um, we worked with a lot of widows that we knew that needed help in our community, which was actually really cool because the idea that we wanted to drive home was like, you don't have to sign up to be a volunteer and go through a training to serve. You can go to your church and identify the people there that need you. Um, and it was, it was, it's always amazing to me. Anything that I do, I feel like, um, and I, I direct this camp, but I always say I don't really direct it. And I walk this fine line between not preparing and letting God totally take over. I mean, I do prepare, but right. it's um, <clears throat> like things will fall apart last minute and just so that something better can fall into place the next. And it's just this awesome opportunity to just trust that he's going to put us in the place where he needs us to be. And we were trying to set up widows and it wasn't working out. And then I got this phone call that somebody needed us and um, turned out that the city had been called on her and she was a widow and she needed her yard cleaned up. And by that day it had to be cleaned or she was going to be fined and she didn't mm -hmm. have the money to be fined. And um, so Wednesday we found out about this and then we looked at the, um, we looked at the, forecast for Thursday and it was supposed to rain all day long and it was outside work. And again, it was like, okay, God, you provided this and we need a way to do it. And if there's any possible way, we know that you can. So either put the storms away or allow us to <laughs> work in the rain. And we prayed for it that night and it was showing storms. And then the next morning we woke up and it was totally clear all day long. 
And the kids felt the testimony of that. The widow felt the testimony of that because she'd been waiting mm. for it or praying for it not to rain. And then, and then just the joy that, that the kids experienced in recognizing that they had stepped up and helped someone when they were desperate. It was really powerful work. And that happened over and over and over again. How does that joy counteract the tiredness? Does it outweigh the tiredness? Absolutely. Because if you'll talk to any of my staff, they'll say at the end of the week, we are so excited, but we've never felt more on fire in our lives. And and I heard like I had new staff this year that were like, this was the most amazing experience that I didn't think I could go any further. But now I would totally go back and do this again because it was the best, most fun, most amazing experience. What would you say to someone who... um, who wants to go and maybe in their mind they want to go, but in their heart they're like, eh, I don't really. So, okay, I'm trying not to ask you too many questions. This is learning. Um, <laughs> how, how can I wear this in a great way? So there's a lot of social justice warriors out there who you could say lead immoral lives, a lot of the Hollywood crowd, or um, they do a lot of charity work, and yet um, – don't give God credit for it. Or let's say someone knows they should be serving other people, but their heart's not in it, but they want to, I'm not asking the question very well. <laughs> they want to, they want to step out maybe and serve and yet they don't feel like their heart's in it, or it's not something that, you know, maybe they're scared of the physical labor or something like that. What would you, what do you say to them? Um, so you can go out and help people but not give God the credit or. Well, that's. (laughs) I asked too many questions. (laughs) No, you didn't. I'm just trying trying to, to, um, I'm trying to think of an authentic yet. Right. Correct. Like yet somewhat filtered way to answer that question. (laughs) We can filter it later. Well, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to answer it authentically then. And hopefully you don't put anything on here that has people calling me, (laughs) Uh, but you can call me. Um, (laughs) So there's a couple answers to that question. And one is I think that good good comes from God. Mm-hmm. And whether or not we're recognizing that good is from God, it's still in the world. And um, he'll still use whatever degree we allow him to to work in our lives. And whether or not we recognize him as the source of that good is a, is a place that he can learn and teach and grow us. So whether or not someone recognizes the good they do in others as coming from God, I believe that it does. Now you can talk about the motivation behind it. Which, I, which is also important because obviously God sees the heart and knows why we're doing it. And if I'm doing it to get glory and honor, then that's obviously not good. But I also think God can work with that mm-hmm. personally. But um, but if it's something where, where people feel like I don't know how or I don't want to or it's a challenge for me, I, I just think you just do it. <laughs> and I only say that because um, – I know I, we live in a world where there's a lot of focus on self mm-hmm. and I can't help you because I haven't helped myself. And I personally, I mean, I understand where that comes from. And there obviously is a person in the helping con- profession. Like there's times when I know that I have to step away and Jesus stepped away. I mean, Jesus, you know, took time when he needed to be by himself and withdrew from the disciples. But I also think that if we, if you, when you spend so much time focusing on yourself, it's going to lead to challenging feelings about yourself. But when that focus turns outward and this is like research based, when people like focus outward and help other people, 
their negative self-worth actually decreases. So I just think, and this may not be answering your question, but you find some way to connect and to, and to fill. And then you, it gets such a joy from the opportunity to serve others that I think that that feeling will go away. I don't think that answer made sense I at don't, all. Now in retrospect, I'm not even sure I answered, I asked a question, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I <laughs> but you think... answer, you're answering my, the question comes from this. Um, you know, when, when Corey and I are discussing scriptures, I've noticed that there's uh, scriptures that are um, a standard. In other words, they're describing like what a Christian looks like or what mm-hmm. they should be, but there's no process to dig your teeth into. And then there's other things that like, oh, this is a process. This is something I can do even at my lowest point to bring about the standard. Like sometimes it's just yeah. like you should be holy and you should be praying to the Lord. And there's those kind of scriptures. You're like, but how do I get to that point? And then other ones are like, uh, you know, you cry out to the Lord until your faith comes and then you move on. And so that's like, well, that's a process. That's something I can dig into. And so I guess what I'm asking is, um, some people have certain gifts to have a servant's heart and like yourself are motivated to put, you know, work in a camp like this and to go out and serve. And then other people may struggle with, I don't really want to do that. Or maybe you could say it's out of your comfort zone, but the reality could just be like, I don't want to go out and rake leaves for somebody. Is it worthwhile to just, like you said, put your foot forward, just go do it. And then sometimes um, your heart changes. If, if you step out on that way, if it's not your forte or whatever. <clears throat> well, I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, we're commanded to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, uh, that was the whole, I was in prison and you visited me and they're like, well, when did we do that? And it's when you did it to the least of these. And then the alternative is get behind me because you didn't come and do those things. And they're like, well, why, when did we not do it? And they're like, well, when you didn't feed the person mm-hmm. that was hungry. And, and so part of me is like, if it's not something you want to do, maybe reevaluate, right, right. <laughs> reevaluate your, why we're here. Because I think that's the whole point of it is that we're supposed to be pouring into the lives of others. And this is, and this is the thing that is amazing to me is because we're, I mean, we're told that we're going to reap what we sow. And the biggest lesson to me in that has been that you don't always sow back from the place that you reaped. No, you don't always reap back from the place that you sowed. So like you think I'm pouring love into this person's life and I should be giving love in return from them. And that's mm. not always the answer that oftentimes when you pour love into someone's life, it doesn't come back from that person because they may or may not be able to return it. But that doesn't mean you don't get the love back because God is the one that's in control of that and he'll pour it back into your life from other places. So if you're not wanting to serve because you feel like the person doesn't deserve it or well, actually, you know what? This is my answer to that question. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> there is... When King Benjamin is talking, and it might take me a second to find this, um, he is like, doesn't mince words about this very topic. (laughs) (laughs) And I have come to love this scripture. Hold on, I'm going to find it so that it's easier for you to just cut all this waiting out. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so... He, I mean, he's all about service, right? And he says, mm-hmm. when you're in the service of others, you're in the service of your God. And he is just teaching the people how important it is to serve. Um, and this comes out of Mosiah too, if people are wanting to look for it um, in the Book of Mormon, depending on who's listening, if that's not something that's familiar. Um, and he says that we shouldn't, it says this, you should not suffer that the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain and turn him out to perish. 
Um, cause he says, aren't we all beggars and we all depend on the same God, even God for all substance, which we have. And he goes on then later to say, um, and not only should you not turn them away, but if you judge them who put up a petition to you and you say, and you somehow condemn them by saying, oh, this is, this is justice that they have this, or they've brought them on ourselves. And so therefore you don't give to them and you don't serve them. Um, it says you're under condemnation for that because what you have doesn't even belong to you in the first place. It was given to you by God and your very life belongs to God. So I think that there, there's such a call for us to serve and it's, it's not, I mean, it's a commandment and, and Mosiah, King Benjamin goes to as far to say is we're under condemnation if we don't choose to do that. And I also think it's interesting in James, who was the brother of Jesus, that He's so focused on the doing and on the serving and taking care of the poor. And and it's a huge part of that ministry from people who walked with Christ and knew him very deeply that I just think it's it's what we're supposed to be doing. And it's not something that it also goes <laughs> it also goes back to that Andrew Peterson lyric that says, um, love is not a feeling in your chest, it's bending down to wash another's feet. Like you may not feel the need to serve others, but it's not about the feeling. It's about the action. And I think when you start to do it, the feeling comes and you start to build connection and you start to see into other people's lives and know that we're all in this together and recognize that if I am, I mean, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you in that way, then our needs are going to be minimized because we're each taking care of each other. And I think that's, Zion, I mean, I think that's the point of the gospel right. is that we serve each other to that capacity. That's that's really good. And that's what I was kind of getting at in a very poor way, what you said at the end. Did, have you seen people come into this camp that uh, I would think they probably have a heart for that already or they wouldn't come there, but maybe they were hesitant and you've seen them kind of turn around by the end of the week? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. Kids come to camp a lot of times because their parents force them and that's <laughs> not any different for this camp. Gotcha. And parents afterwards will be like, my kid could not stop talking about this <laughs> camp and they've never talked about a camp before. Oh, wow. Okay. Or I had a kid who comes in that had like, did not enjoy social situations, was very shy, did not want to come to camp and has now been one of my, our most faith, faithful attendants and love it and has really stepped up as a leader this year. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and it's, I, I just feel like, and you know, then they go home and their parents are like, they've never acted like this before. What's going on? And it's like, well, they had, they lived it. Like we talk about how this translates when you go home now, because loving your parents is the same. If you can love a homeless person that you just met, you know, or this mm -hmm. woman who needed yard work done, then how are you loving the family members that you see with every day? So that's, anyway. well, I was trying to plug the camp in probably the worst way possible. I went around just to just <laughs> draw out that yes, even camp. if you don't feel like it, there is a change that can happen and, and that yeah. can happen. So that's, well, and I think I haven't talked to, I mean, obviously maybe they wouldn't tell me, but I haven't talked to any kid that did not love camp. Yeah. Um. So I think I, I personally think it's one of the best things we have going on right now. You do a lot of ministry with you. I know you are involved with the Zat Club, which is a, um, just a, a kind of a Christian outreach service club at uh, our church school. Um, what is it about? What is it about kids um, that makes you feel good to be with them to serve? 
Um, I think kids don't carry all of the, <laughs> I love working with kids in general. Like that's just my field. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, I've always felt a natural connection gift, if you will, mm-hmm. um, to working with children. But I think as far as the church is concerned, I, um, love honesty, which is particular in teens. Like I love to work with teens because I'm not afraid of challenging questions. And I love the place that they're at where they can be in the struggle. But I also think they don't have all the baggage that particularly in our church, we carry from years of mistrust and, you know, like they're a little bit more pure in their, um, wanting the work that they want to do. And they don't have all of the fear that's built up over years of bad things happening that co- that make it challenging to do the gospel work. And it's, I don't know. I, and I also think uh, talking about the role of women in the church, I really feel like that's one of our major roles is that we're supposed to be ministering to children and youth. And um, I like, I don't know. I don't know why I like it because they're fun and they're funny and they're, and they're a blast. And you, a lot, you can be laughing one minute and, crying the next and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're just, fun. they're fun. They're more fun than adults. <laughs> and I like to have fun. I don't know. That was a terrible answer. <laughs> That's a good answer. I feel like I'm not answering any of your questions. Well. The, yeah, no, you're doing, <laughs> no, you are doing, you were doing great. The, the, the purpose of stories of the saints is because I read books like books like your grandma wrote um, and you read all of these stories of missionaries in years gone by and we look in the scriptures and we see stories of of faithful saints and we call them saints and it seems like they lived long ago but what I see is there has there's a need for people to share their stories today and know that God still is relevant and he cares about people today and there's stories that are going on, like what you're sharing right now. And I want for people to have access to those stories yeah. and to know that um, that it's not a thing of the past. It's a thing for today. You know, you're, you're doing great. Well, you. Well, here, I'll answer this. I'll, answer, I'll say this to the question you just asked. I, also, I, I really believe, and it actually talks about in my patriarchal blessing, a gift that I've been given to look into the lives of others and see that God <clears throat> loves them and be able to share that with them in a way that, would bring transformation to their life. And I think with particularly teens, I, and in, in, in the work that I do, the favorite kids for me to work with are the ones that are the most challenging and that other people don't necessarily want to connect to because I, I love the opportunity to, to look into a life and see the good that's there and connect to that and bring that out. And Um, I think that's why I like teens because, and and junior, like I like all those ages that are sometimes challenging for people because I think there's a lot of good in there that we just need to tap into and bring out. Well, you you said you work with um, teens. So you, well, you were, we are a child, you were a child. I'm still a child life specialist. I don't necessarily work in the hospital environment except to supervise my students because I'm on the academic side, but I'm still. And that's why I wanted to get to. Certified child life specialist. So. I know you worked where I work now, um, not doing the same thing, but um, so you teach now. And you have taken a group of students to Africa Mm -hmm. on several occasions. Yes. Tell me about that. So a number of years ago, um, about 12 years ago, maybe now, um, I was working as a child life specialist and – we work in hospital environments to help 
particularly hospital environments, but any stressful environment really to help kids cope with and process um, stressful experiences and build resiliency and continue with healthy development. And um, a call came out for a program that was wanting to be started in Cape Town, South Africa. And I responded to that and went with a team that helped start a child life program there. And in the midst of doing that, felt very much invigorated. Um, it was an interesting experience because we had very minimal resources and we really had to go back to our roots of play as a common language with kids. Um, and so seeing the great teach learning experience I had there when I became a teacher, I really wanted my students to go there and learn. So we started this practicum study away experience where they could go for about a month, um, three weeks to a month, and work in the hospital environment there in Cape Town and learn how to be a child life specialist in a different part of the world with different cultures and using different tools and are available to hear to them here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. What um, what were some takeaways you got from that? What, what were the what were people like there? What were some what are things we have in common? Um, I I think that that's the most beautiful piece of it is that that we recognize. And this is what I love about walk the talk camp too. It all comes together is that we're able to connect on that piece of us. That's human. Um, because that's true for all of us. You you're, you know, are, are the brain naturally when you meet someone starts to identify things as good or bad or compartmentalize what's familiar or unfamiliar. And sometimes we get caught mm -hmm. up in that, but, um, the opportunity is there to recognize the humanness of all. So, so, and, and in particular in that environment, when my students can't use language to communicate, which is what we often see as the most important, um, they find other ways to connect and communicate with kids on, and they actually, I mean, this is totally off topic, but they go through a training where we talk a lot about interpersonal neurobiology and the ability of the mind to connect with another mind. Um, and so they learn those skills of how your nervous system is communicating with another nervous system even without you using words. And, and in other words, it's your humanness connecting with my humanness. It, I don't know, that's a whole nother topic, but anyway. <laughs> wow. But that's what we have in common. We're all human. We all hurt. We all struggle. We all need people to connect with and support us in order to build resiliency and in order to make it through the hard stuff in life. And that's really what it comes down to that I'm trying to teach my students is that it's not my job to jump in and fix it for the child. It's my job to create a safe space for them to come out of it. Um, for me to help them build resiliency by creating a safe place for them to feel what they need to feel. So sometimes that means creating a safe place for a kid who's sad to cry. Sometimes it means creating a safe place for a kid who's angry to really be able to express that in a safe way. And sometimes that means creating space for kids to laugh. So my job is not all about making kids smile and happy in the hospital. It's about helping them process through really big and scary and hard things. And sometimes it means I'm sitting there while they scream during a procedure. <laughs> right. And that's okay. And I'm, and then afterwards it's, they did it. So. You talk about connectedness. I just finished a class in school, and at the end, we had to write a mission statement. This was at the end of my whole program. And um, I wrote something to the effect of what I wanted to do in the future was continue to go into people's homes, as I do as a nurse, and um, show people from different cultures that um, that we all 
mourn when people we love pass away and we all rejoice when new creatures come into the world, little babies, yeah. and that those two things are the same. And I've worked on both ends of the spectrum. And, um, and when you are focused on those two things, it's like color and race and religion and a lot of those things kind of fade away and you're just experiencing things um, that connect you, the same type of emotions. And it's really cool to see that to see that um you've also done some camps or missionary work at other countries eastern africa um and again it you know it's funny because the very first time um that i went there i was like studying everything that i could possibly study and had all my classes ready and was ready with all the right answers so that i would have the right words to share with people and i went and god blessed me and it was awesome um, but then between that time and the next time that I went, I had this experience where I really felt like like God was like, I want you to know me. I want you to know my son in real and tangible ways. And so I took a year and this was, you know, in the midst of also being single for a long time in my life and um, and recognizing that much of our time is focused on how do we connect with people to build relationships that will lead to marriage or whatever. And I'm, I'm explaining that because what I'm going to say might sound odd to people, but um, I took a year where I was like, well, I'm just going to spend this year for lack of a better term. <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way, but dating Jesus, right? Like I'm just going to spend this year where my free time and what I do is spent building tangible relationship with him. And people are probably going to think I'm crazy when I say this, but I would make dinner for myself and I would sit a second plate at the table and I'd be like, okay, I'm having dinner with you. Like, let's sit down and chat. Or, you know, you go for a walk and you're like, I'm taking you with me. And it, it wasn't, I, I know that he wasn't sitting there and having dinner with me. But for me, it was a tangible way to be like, I want every moment of my life to be yeah. getting to know you, not because I read about you, but because I actually experienced you. And it was a really transitional moment in my life. And the next time I went back to Kenya, again, I had... I had prepared, but I was, instead of telling someone about someone that I'd read a lot of books about, I was able to tell them about someone that I had experienced and that I knew personally. And they responded in a way that was like, you're different. Like, I don't know what, who, what happened to you, but you're different this time when you came back. And I think that was the answer was um, getting to know him in a real way rather than as someone that I just had read stories about. Um, so... I don't think that's crazy at all. I love the fact of going through, like you said, of sitting a place for him at the table to remind yourself. Did that, um, did that, tell me about that process more. How did that change over time? Was it odd at first? Did you, play, <laughs> where well, did you, you know, get, where did you get the idea? Well, there's that jars of clay song, like that old jars of clay song that says, I want to fall in love with you. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. I want to fall in love. And I always thought, I felt really uncomfortable singing that right. growing up. I'm like, that's weird. That's not how you talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. But the more I went through that process, the more I was like, this is really, truly a falling in love process of like giving your heart to to God and just trusting that that's the most important love relationship that you can work on. Um and, and I don't know, then it didn't become weird anymore. And I haven't, you know, I haven't done that for a long time. It maybe is something I need to consider. Not, I mean, I don't know that I need to set the table again, but 
But you know, when you're in, when you're in a romantic relationship, like that person is all you can think about and you will give up plans with other people and right. you will put off things you really need to do to spend time with that person. And to me, I was like, that's who I want Christ to be in my life is the one that I'm willing to put plans off with other people and to, um, you know, prioritize as the, as excited to see, you know, and it's like, I can't wait to get home because I get to spend time with him. And, and to me, I had to, I had to replace in tangible ways what I was seeking with him. And so I guess, and yeah, over time it became more real and less, and also probably less tangible. Like I wasn't necessarily doing the whole setting the table thing, but forever. I, I don't do that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just became more real. I love that. Yeah. And really even, and this may sound weird, not even just for a girl to do that, but, but for uh, a man or yeah. a guy also, because he is your first love, not in a romantic sort of way, but he's your number one mm-hmm. priority above wife, children, everybody. Yeah. That is really cool. Uh, I was going to ask you, I actually had on here um, to talk to me about your alone time with the Lord and and I guess when I, whenever I ask you these questions, I'm always thinking of the people who are going to be listening to your answers. Um, and I know that you are connected to young people. So uh, when they find out that you did a podcast, I'm sure a lot of them will listen to this. So tell me, um, tell them how important that is. It, I mean, it's the most, it's the most important thing and it and I say that not to be like I'm so good at it because no, no, I get it. because I'm not and there's times in my life when it's really really good and there's times in my life when it's really bad but the thing is I can tell in my life when it's really good and when it's bad because of um all sorts of different reasons I know when I'm not making it a priority because of the the way that I think of and view myself um the struggle that I have with things in my life Um, I mean, to be very specific, like I am 38 years old. I'm not married. I've never been married. And when I am not making that a priority, I become very lonely and I very much desire to get married. And I think there's something, you know, I focus on myself and, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And, and how do I make that happen? But when it's a priority in my life, it's not a, it's not a concern to me. Like it's still a desire, but it's Mm -hmm. not a concern because it's, I'm being filled with, and I, and I, and I don't say that because everyone's thing is going to be singleness. Like whatever your issue is, I feel like when I've filled myself with Christ, it, it makes sense. And the other thing that happens is when I'm in the word and really spending that time with him is I start to find answers to questions that I'm asking, um, in real and, and I mean, it's just like the world opens up and all these answers start coming to things that I've been having because I'm spending that time in the word. But there's also times in my life when it is not going that great. But an interesting thing was, um, I remember there was a, 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 a very dark and challenging period of my life. And um, in the midst of that, I found myself really plugging in because I knew I wouldn't make it through that struggle if I wasn't plugged in. And it was very hard, the hardest thing that I've ever gone through but it was also the most connected I've ever felt to God. And I remember as I felt myself coming out of that place, praying and saying, um, God, I, I want this to leave me, but I don't want the dependency I have on you to end. Mm-hmm. So how do we make that happen that I don't have to live in this place of hurt and darkness, but yet 
I still know how much I need you every single day. And to be honest, self-reflecting here, like I, that I did come out of that place and I probably <laughs> reflecting now have also become a lot more lackadaisical in my need right. to connect with him. And I think that's something that, yeah, I need to do a little bit better on again. Mm. But you asked what it, you asked what it looks like. Is that what you asked what it looks like or why is it important? I guess just um, if you were, yeah, if you were giving advice or other than just saying you need to put God first, how, how would you um, express, I guess, the benefit that you have found in that to our younger listeners that may be listening to this and wanting to make that connection with him a, a bigger priority? I think that the advice that I would give is start somewhere that, mm. um, and I, and I can't tell you how to do that because I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I do know it needs to involve the word. Um, I think, and I was, you know, we live in a world where that, I don't know. I'll just say that it needs to involve the word. Um, and so whether that is like finding a devotional, I think that's a really good way to start is you find a, a devotional that has scripture as part of it. And my whole thing is I'll read the devotional, but then I go look up the scripture and get the context. And that's a good place for people to start if you don't know how to study. Um, I think you can also start. Um, for me, some of my deepest study comes when I'm teaching a class. And so if you have a topic that you want to look up, you can start reading on that and letting God open those doors to you. Um, I think you can just start in the gospels. That's a really easy place to start. Um, for me, the book of Mormon um, opened my eyes. It, it was interesting because I've read the book of Mormon normal, multiple times, but this last year when I read it, it was like came alive to me in ways it never has. And, and for the first time became really precious to me. Um, so I think that's a really great place to start. You can start with King Benjamin's sermon if mm -hmm. you want to. Anyway, I just think you need to start doing, just do something and take off the pressure of it having to be something amazing because what happens is once you start doing it, you start to crave it and that desire grows. I mean, it's the whole seed philosophy, right? As soon as you start nourishing the seed, it starts to grow and you're going to want more and your life is going to be different. And anyone I talk to that has that time with God is part of the regular day knows how, how important it is. So start somewhere. <laughs> That's my advice. How important are close friends um, in the Lord to you? The most important thing <laughs> outside of my relationship with Christ. And, and, and part of that is my personality, like my most treasured, possessions for lack of a better word in life are relationships. Like I love people. And so my family and my friends. Um, but when I was young, I grew up in Iowa and not near a lot of, um, not just friends in our church, but, but pe people who, and I've talked to some of my high school friends about this since didn't really grow up with people who that was a huge priority in their life and felt pretty alone in that. And I remember specifically praying, I would come down to camp every now and then or to, to camp in Iowa and, um, and, and, and kind of be the outsider and not really make a lot of friends, which, and I'm actually <laughs> honestly an extremely shy person. People find that very hard to believe about me, but my close friends and family know how bad it is. Um, 
And so I remember specifically praying like, God, I just want like one or two really good friends in the gospel. Like, I think that that would really be helpful to me. And <clears throat> since that time, I've, I, I've been overwhelmed with that. Um, and those friendships are absolutely the, and, and also family. Um, but my friends particularly because my family, I just expect them to be that in my life, but, um, have been the, the thing that has probably been the most cherished and also stabilizing thing in my life. They're the people that support me. Um, you know, being able to have a friend that you can call on the phone and pray with like that's, Mm-hmm. And just the bond with my friends in Christ is so actually I just went to the Bahamas um for a disaster relief thing and 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 met a couple of girls there and immediately we were bonded and connected and I really feel like it was because of our connection with Christ and we recognized that and we would pray together over our day and it's just the immediate d- depth of bond that comes when you have that relationship in Christ. So anyway, it's been the most important thing to me because it's been a support to me, um, but it's also been my friends are the people who can call me out and keep me accountable. And that's hugely important in my life that I've had friends who've sat me down and said, look, (laughs) this is not good. Um, You need to stop this or I'm really worried about you in this. Or if you (laughs) if you don't walk out of this situation right now, like it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's been hugely important to me in life and I and it's so important to surround yourself with friends in the in the faith friends that love the Lord um <clears throat> not that you shouldn't have friends that aren't but I think that you really need those close well, connections yeah, to keep you grounded we we or, or at least we should be telling our young people to pray for your spouse and everything but your friends oftentimes that's those relationships are going to come first um mm-hmm. and we try to tell our son um, just because someone goes to a church or um, a Christian school or is baptized doesn't necessarily mean they're a good influence on you. Um, you know, if you're hanging out with people all the time and the name of Jesus never comes up, then how uh, valuable is that relationship? If it's not someone you can talk to about the Lord, um, not that you have to do that all the time, but certainly needs to be a large part of your relationship and that's why I always want to take the opportunity for young people to hear from other people they respect the importance of the, especially if you're suffering in any way from low self-esteem or whatever, to have yeah. someone that values you for who you are, I think is just un, unmatched. It's just so important for you to have that in your life. So, yeah, And be that support along the journey. I mean, like I love mm-hmm. – I love Alma and the sons of Mosiah and they come back together and the joy that's in, and I've, I've experienced that getting older, you know, like you lose touch with your friends and you come back and you see that they're still busy in the gospel work. And it's like, there's nothing more <laughs> thrilling than that. So. You know, hey, tell me about the Bahamas. So yeah, you, you <laughs> disaster relief. How did you get involved with that? Um, so there's an organization called child life disaster relief. That's specifically for child life specialists. Um, and typically, we have partnered with other organizations um, and done disaster work. Um, but this time in the Bahamas was the first time that some physicians actually called and specifically said, we need child life specialists down there. Um, so I am part of that organization. And um, so I got to go be part of the team that kind of piloted and assessed the need and, and built connections and started doing some really important work with the kids there. Um 
So there was a hurricane. There's a hurricane in the Bahamas. People were displaced, lost their homes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. terrible. And kids. It, it, I don't, it hasn't really been on the news that much, which I guess we're just so desensitized to disaster these days. But, um, and, and at the time that I went, like, I think that the death toll was like 48 people, but there are over a thousand people who aren't accounted for yet. So the death toll is likely more. This was just recent, right? Within mm-hmm. the last month. Yeah. Um, and so we were actually working, one of the islands was pretty much totally destroyed people. Nobody was on that Island unless you were there to help with the rebuilding efforts. And then another uh, part of the Island, they'd evacuated a lot of people. So we were actually on an Island that wasn't part of the path of destruction, but it was where everyone had been evacuated to. Um, and we were working mostly in shelters with kids. So one of the shelters we worked in had over 1200 people just living in a gymnasium together and the kids were um, had a lot of big feelings and experiences that they needed to process through. Um, and it was like, you know, my training um, is very much built on child-directed play and allowing kids to process through what they're experiencing through play. So, for example, I sat down with a boy one day and just handed him blocks. And he was like, I don't know what to build. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what to build. And pretty soon he started building his house and then the dock by his beach. None of, I mean, I didn't say, Hey kid, I'm here to process the hurricane with you. I just presented play materials to him and he started building all these things. And then all of a sudden he started telling me the story of the hurricane and how he um, was in his home and the wind and the waves and everything was coming. And he wasn't scared of the water because he knew he was a good swimmer. But it was the wind that scared him. And so he and his family had to leave and evacuate and and run up the mountain into a church. And they had to hide up in the rafters because the water came in and the doors broke open. And and then he talked to me about um, the the boat ride that they took from their island to where they had been evacuated to and how terrible that was and Um, you know, having to throw up and whatever. And then he went on to talk about his friends that he hadn't heard from and he doesn't know if they're dead or if they're alive. And, um, and then he started saying to me, like, it's just really weird not to have anything like to, to have everything gone and it's just you and you don't have anything to start over with. And I, this whole time I'm just listening and reflecting and giving him blocks (laughs) to build these shapes with. Um, And it was, so it's, it was really powerful work. It was really amazing you know, and the kids were talking about how um, they their, their parents didn't really allow them to talk about it. And that's typical after a disaster like this is that um, oftentimes parents haven't processed it themselves. So for them to, you know, they're still kind of in that denial state. And so it's hard for them to process with their kids. But um, so having us there to be an outlet for them to discuss the their what they were going through was pretty powerful. And then another story, and you might like this because it has to do with songwriting. One mm-hmm. of the girls who with me, was with me was a music therapist. And so she did some songwriting with the kids where she just kind of gave them the songwriting process and opened the door for them to process through some of the stuff. And and there was this kid who was like really jokey about the hurricane when we were sitting around and just like, I thought the hurricane was funny. You know, just a teenage boy who was not ready to go to that place in himself. And through the songwriting process, ended up writing this song um, that he called Depression Dorian. Dorian was the name of the hurricane. And all about how it comes into your life and it steals everything that you have and everyone that you love and doesn't even give you a chance to say goodbye. And it was just this 
beautiful, like heart wrenching song about losing a friend in the hurricane. And from this kid that moments before was like, I thought it was funny. Mm. So anyway, it was, it was just, and again, it goes back to the connection of being human and needing to live human experiences and needing people who will sit with you during those and not necessarily have the right words, but be willing to connect with you and, and walk you through really challenging life experiences and help you through, come through the other side. Did, what do you think the difference is between kids processing a hurricane like that and the adults? Or did you not get to connect with the adults at all? Or <clears throat> well, just I mean, from what you saw? I mean, I can't imagine. Developmentally, it, each age group is going to process it differently based off of, you know, their both their cognitive ability to process it and also their relationships with what's happening to people around them. So obviously the babies are going to process it by feeling what's going on in their environment and their parents and recognizing their change of routine. And as you get older, um, you know, it's going to be processed differently. So teens are going to process differently than kids because teens can think more abstractly and think about the future and hypothetically, and what does this mean for me? And now I don't have school and, you know, and, and, and things like that. And adults are kind of going through that same thing of like having to fail. I mean, the kids just realize like, Oh, there was a hurricane and now we're in this other place and there's not, you know, and, and, and there's, there's more to it than that. But the adults are thinking like, where are we going to go? And what are we going to do? And, um, there's a lot more weight of, um, having to worry about other people that kids don't necessarily have. Although kids were worrying about their parents. It's, it's Yeah. Do you ever say, <laughs> is that your first type of disaster? That was the first time I'd done that, yeah. Mm. I wondered, did the thought ever cross your mind of like how bad it could actually get in this world? I mean, we're looking at one hurricane and one group mm. of people, and we think about, um, especially in this country, and you know, some of the prophecies and things um, on how people will treat each other and if and when disaster comes you know it was actually interesting because um you know there's this there's it's it's an interesting world to navigate because you're in the midst of destruction and so you're seeing some of the worst sides of people i mean there is definitely some challenging part but you're also seeing some of the best sides of people of what it's like for people to come together and this was my first disaster relief but there were a lot of parallels to kingdom building to me and mm-hmm. that um you know, when, when I showed up as a child life specialist um, and said, this is my skill set, people were like, oh my goodness, awesome, come. Here's where we'll plug you in. We need you here. We need you here. So it was the play processing. But there was one day when we were actually doing some of our medical child life skills. So kids were having to get immunizations to go back to school. So we were supporting them during those and during their physicals. And we introduced ourselves, set our role, and within 30 minutes, they were actually coming out and searching us down to bring us in to help kids because they saw how quickly what we were doing was needed, which in the U.S., if you're a child life specialist in a hospital, it takes you a good few months to build the relationship with your staff where they're actually going to call you for procedures, and it took like 30 minutes there. And, and I saw that with everyone. Like someone would come and be like, I'm a doctor. Okay, cool. This is where we need you. I'm this. Okay, awesome. So that was happening in one area. There was another area where we worked where the people were pretty closed off that you had to kind of prove yourself to get in. And even then they were a little suspicious of you and what you were doing. And, and because of that, the services that were offered to those kids and families were way less than the services that were offered in these other places where people were like, oh yes, come, we can use you, do this. What do you mean closed off? 
I mean, just a little bit like, oh, we don't know who you are. We don't want outsiders in here right now to help. This is from the locals? Um, well, the people the, who the are in charge of gotcha. the, that organization. I don't want to like right. no, give too fine. many <laughs> <laughs> identifying. Um, but to me, it was just interesting because how often do we do that? Or it's like, actually, I'm going to need to check your credentials. Not that it's wrong to check your credentials, but like, I'm suspicious of you. I'm not sure if I can trust what you have to offer. Um, we'll take care of it ourselves. Don't mm. worry. And because of that, those kids and families missed out on so many resources that were being offered to other people. Whereas opposed to over here, it was like, and, and over here checked my credentials as well. I'm not saying in a disaster relief, it's not helpful when the whole world runs down. Right. But they're like, okay, you have the proper documentation. I'm going to trust that the person that let you in knows what they're talking about and you can do your job. And it was just, it was so neat to see everybody come together with their different gifts and talents and just rally together and do some really great things. And to me, the whole time I was thinking like, this is so much the kingdom. Whereas I feel like sometimes today we're like, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if what you have to offer is helpful. I need you to go sit over there while I figure it out. Meantime, there's so much work that could be doing being done rather than like, cool, come, there's room for us all, like get to work. Right. <laughs> I don't know. That's exciting. That <clears throat> gives me hope. I always wonder about that. I don't have the typical skill set of men. Like I'm not a carpenter and a handyman and all that. So sometimes you're like, I always wondered in, yeah, I guess I look forward to a day when we just use our talents um, that the Lord's given to us. And you always feel more fulfilled. What, I think, do, you, that what way. do you mean like that? Like that you can't help in that situation because you're not a carpenter? You're a nurse. Well, <laughs> yeah, no. I'm thinking, I'm thinking more like a work day at the church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, your skill is hugely important. No, I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm thinking like, you know, local and stuff. Yeah, no, no, I get that. No, I'm, I'm very happy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Let's we, talk about you, Mike. Uh, let's wait. Do you get your own podcast? Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts, you, you are one that listens to I love podcasts. podcasts. So give me give me some of your favorite podcasts you like to listen to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're not like... What? <laughs> They're not probably the most. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love true crime. Like, right, I don't right. know what to tell you. Which, okay. Um, I, um, I listen to Bob Goff's every now and then. I don't, I don't <clears throat> listen. Annie Downs. You ever listen to her? Don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta cut that out. <laughs> I. Yes. Well, I've learned from that. To try not to do that. Well, good. That's a good thing. Have you listened to Andrew Osenga's Pivot? Mm-mm. No, but oh, where did I see that posted? Somebody posted that as something to listen to. He's in the. He was one of the Andes early on that played with Andrew Peterson. Um, he's got one on Pivot where people's lives change or careers or tragedy or just where there's a big life change. And he's an excellent interviewer. Hmm. I liked it. Very good interviewer. Um we're gonna have to wind it up. We're I don't want to keep you all night, but I would do want to I do want to ask you this because I'm something that we're looking at right now, and I'm just kind of curious. I like to hear the saints answer this question. Define the gospel. What's the gospel to you, or how would you define it? I think it's hard for me because for me it's so not cognitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like for me, mm-hmm. it's so like tangible and lived that it's very difficult for me to like identify with words what it is, but I guess it's the gospel is the roadmap for our life for how God wants us to return to him and the way that he's 
created it. And I think... Uh, I don't think there's one right answer. Yeah. That's why I like to ask this, because you put 100 people in a room, and they could all answer differently, and they could all be completely correct. And I just... Well, and I guess it's, I mean, okay, so the gospel is God's plan for our, our return to him, which is his major goal. Um, and then there's so much more to it because there's, is, I mean, really the gospel is that Christ came and died and the plan of salvation and returning us to, to God. But I also think there's this piece of it where, um, so this is the analogy that I give to kids sometimes, and this may be totally inaccurate, but in my head, this is how it works. So when you think of, I mean, we're told that this life is a probationary period mm-hmm. and a chance for us to prepare to meet God. And I feel like, um, the, the commandments and the scripture that we've been given, um, is the tools for helping us to prepare to meet God. And, um, not in a, like, can you do this or can't you do this way? But in a, this is how I live. This is how beings have to exist within my presence. And if you want to exist within my presence, like you're going to need to learn this. And so I, I once told kids, like, I imagine, like I used to imagine Zion as like, you know, you walk up to the doors and they're like, Oh, you're not on the list. Like, <laughs> sorry. And then you walk away dejected and sad that you couldn't go in there. But that view for me changed recently that it was like, I actually think so what's going to happen is you're going to walk to the gates of Zion and I've always said, <laughs> I've always said my dream job is to be like the Walmart greeter of Zion that like stands at the doors and is like, oh, we're so excited here. But I think you'll walk there and I think that this will be what they say. I think they'll be like, hey, we're so glad you're here. Just so you know, within these walls, everything that you own belongs to everyone else. And within these walls, you're asked to love people as much as you love yourself. Within these walls, we serve God with our whole heart. Within these walls, um, we don't get offended, and we work things out with each other. And you know, like all the all of the <laughs> commandments that we've been given, I think they'll just say like, "This is the way we live." Or, Are you ready to do that? And then I'll have to say like, "I'm not." Like I really like my 401k, and I'm not willing to give that to Mike, like because mm-hmm. I don't feel like Mike make good decisions or. You know, I see so-and-so's in there and I don't think I can live with them. And so I don't know if I want to come in. And I think I'll be sad, but I'll be sad because I didn't spend the time practicing the stuff that I have to have to live there before it was time to go. Does that make sense? I, I, love I don't that. I don't know if that's real or not, but to me it's more like so the point of this the scriptures that we've been given is so that we can practice so that when the time comes we're like 100% I am ready. Like let's go. I've been practicing it. I know I can do it. Um, obviously there's that piece of God's grace that comes within that, but at the same time, it's like, no, I want to do that. Like I, I've, I've lived with my possessions belonging to everyone else. Like, that's cool. I can, I can totally do that without having to hold on to it. So that doesn't really answer what's the gospel question. Cause I really feel like the gospel is God's plan for us to return to him and, and the salvation of Christ. But at the same time, I think it's also, um, the word is about giving us a way to practice living so that it feels good to be in his presence. No, I love that. I I don't know where it was at. Somewhere along the line, I listened to somebody wiser than me say something to the effect of, you know, you can give an answer, and it um, you may give a you may give three or four different answers to the same question depending on the audience or depending on the situation, and they're all right. But it's um, it's just uh, how you describe it at that moment based on the need of who's listening. <laughs> 
Is that your way of saying I didn't really answer your question? No. It's it's (laughs) my way of saying you're wiser than you already know that. So, no. Uh, That's funny. That's that's a very good way of what I know. I like what you said. Thank you for coming and talking and sharing your story. Anything else you want to add? Any words of wisdom? I don't know. Anything else that you think I need to add? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I didn't say anything at all in our whole time together. So I hope you can. Well, you've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. Really? You said a lot. I feel like, well, I know I've been talking that long, but I'm (laughs) saying something of value. You love the Lord. I do. And um, (laughs) I try. You love people and uh, you're a saint. You're a saint in these latter days, and that's where people need to hear those stories and know that there are people that are making those choices because a lot of people aren't making those choices. And so we want to give God his time and let people know that he is important. He is important to people today, and so that's what this is about. Hey, I'll tell you one more thing. Yeah. You can cut it out. You can cut anything out. So this is this goes back to the beginning when you were talking about service. <laughs> I did ten inter- I did a ten minute interview with Mike tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like I was there longer. I don't know why. It's like me just saying my name and it's over. Well, I will tell you, I had to listen to Adams in like two sections. It was a little bit long. So it was I trust if you want to cut it down. <laughs> um, no, but when you were talking about service at the beginning, this was the big revelation that came to me. It's not a huge revelation, but there's. Um, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, that whole parable, mm-hmm. which we learned from a very young age and whatever. Uh, and it makes sense. The, and to me, the goal of that was always, okay, build your life on the Christ, rock of Christ Jesus. But when you actually go back and read the parable, the difference between the person who built on the rock and the person who built on the sand was that they both heard the gospel, but the one who built on the rock heard and did it. And the one who built on the sand just heard it and didn't respond. And that to me, I think is the most, if, if nothing else that has been important to my life, it's been that we have to be the doers, not just the hearers, because otherwise we're building the house on a sandy foundation. And I really feel like, you know, I, I've just been reading a lot about how people are worried about Christianity in general and where it's going. And I and I really feel like it's because we've been trying to build on a sandy foundation that looks good to the world and and that says the right things. But it's like that's not what it's about. It's about doing it. So anyway, just the idea of not just listening to or reading or studying this gospel, but really starting to practice and do it. Because in Helaman, it says, you know, that Satan's going to throw all sorts of things at you, the wind, the rain, the hail. And unless you're built on the rock of Christ Jesus, you're going to fall. And the way to build is to do the gospel. So two sets of Joneses. Do it. Big tent revival. I love that song. (laughs) (laughs) I actually played that song at camp this year for the Zoe and I sang that song actually for the kids at camp this year. Such a good song. That's one of those throwbacks. When I hear it, I'm like sitting in the living room in Oklahoma City on the mission with Adam, writing in our journal. <laughs> and oh, it's just... I'm in Colorado sitting around a campfire at some like Christian adventure camp, and somebody sang that song to me for the first time. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, Rough. so good. Went home and bought the album. Everybody look it up. Big, big Tent Revival, <laughs> Two Sets of Joneses, circa 1994, 1995. That one it was. 
That's when it came out, I think. Look, it's we, all coming around in 1994. That's where the podcast started. <laughs> we actually <laughs> saw the video on some like late night TV Christian video. The, the the Christian videos would come on like on the really bad channel with that barely came in, and uh, I don't know. It was on like late at night one night, and we saw this. We're like, stunk off to the Christian bookstore the next day to <laughs> look up this this group because it was a great song. So good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you, Kara. Thank Thanks, you for, Mike. Thank you for what you do. And uh, when you hear this live, there'll be some great music that comes in right now and <laughs> carries and us away. <laughs> those moments that I have really profound things to yeah. say. <laughs> or crickets. Or crickets, yeah. <laughs> we could probably do that. <laughs> that's the first that's the first I've used that. Oh my gosh. I feel really special. <laughs> Good deal. Thank you. Thank you.